The Quarantine Conversation podcast series aims to show what it's like to be an Earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of Earth diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Our interviewee today is Sophie Leiter, a volcanologist. Uh, now, Sophie, in this uh, podcast series, we aim to meet people at various stages in their scientific studies. So would you consider yourself to be a student, a teacher, a hobbyist, a researcher? Um, I would say I'm a student who does research. Okay. And um, a volcanologist, that sounds really interesting. What is a volcanologist to you? I would say that volcanologists broadly are interested in the way that molten rock comes to the surface and how it expresses itself once that happens. So there are a lot of different directions you can take with that. And some people are focused on the part that happens below the surface and some people are interested in the part that happens above the surface. Um, but broadly, it's just what makes volcanoes erupt and why. Interesting. And which one are, are you interested in? Uh, below the surface or above the surface? I would say that I'm a little bit of both, but primarily above the surface. I'm interested in, in looking at things from a systems perspective. So you always, you need to know where the magma is coming from, but um, most of my research now is involved in what happens to it once it's above ground. Excellent. Um, so you need to know where magma comes from. Um, is magma different in different places? It is, yeah. There, so there are several reasons why you might have um, magma under the surface. There are convergent plate boundaries, which is uh, what we have on the western coast of North America, where an oceanic plate is going under a continental plate. Uh, which drives melting. And then you also have hotspot volcanism, uh, like Hawaii, where there's just, for some reason, a plume of magma is coming to the surface. And there's actually quite a bit of debate about why that happens. Um, and then you have mid-ocean ridges, which are sort of the baseball seams that you see when you look at a map of the Earth. Um, there's one kind of right in the center between North America and Europe, and that's where two plates are coming apart which allows molten rock to come to the surface. And each of those different uh, zones has a different character of uh, rocks that form there in different chemical composition. Well, volcanoes are really diverse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and within each of those chemical compositions, you have different landforms, um, you know, different amount of time that they're spending below the surface, different expressions of volcanism. It's um, it's hard to be an expert on all of it, certainly. And which one would you consider yourself to be an expert in? I would say that I'm probably not an expert yet, but most of my work has been at convergent plate boundaries uh, and mostly in the Cascades. Okay, so the kinds of volcanoes that we find around here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like um, big stratovolcanoes that we find here. And also I've done work on um, cinder cones, which are very small, like 500 meters or or shorter little kind of baby volcanoes. Well, you might not consider yourself to be an expert, but you seem to know a lot more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, volcanology is not really a common field. Uh, how did you get into this field of study? I sort of fell into it um, by happy accident. I went to a, a quite a small liberal arts college in the US um, and my junior year of of my undergrad, there was a new professor in our department who was um, like a young dynamic female researcher. And I, the first day of class that I had with her, she said that she was interested in having students join her lab. And I just thought that she 
seemed really cool and like someone that I wanted to work with and like someone that I wanted to model my career after. Um, and she was a petrologist. So um, she focuses on molten rock below the surface. And um, we put together a project. I did my undergraduate thesis with her and I'm just really lucky that I ended up liking it a lot um, and kind of found that volcanology was something that I actually wanted to do, but it was really just because I thought that she was cool and I wanted to be like her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really inspiring. And, and um, I'm sure she'd be really pleased to know that you followed her lead. Yeah, maybe I'll send her this link and it'll earn me some brownie points. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope you do. <laughs> um, in your studies, have you ever made any really cool discoveries that you were proud of? Um, I don't know that I've made any discoveries, but I think that work that I've done has contributed to the broader understanding of an area, which I think I'm proud of because, well, I am proud of, um, because I think that good science is all about teamwork and I'm happy to have been part of, I think a better understanding of of cinder cone volcanism in the Cascades. That's what a lot of my previous work has been on um, and replicating other people's work to show that it was done right and their conclusions were valid. Um, so yeah, I, I maybe one day I'll make a cool discovery, but as it stands, I've, I've done pieces of broader things. Replication is um, a part of the scientific process that isn't usually celebrated as much as it, it should be. Um, would you mind explaining why it's important? Um, well, I think everyone sort of wants to be on the cutting edge and be the first person to discover something, but it's possible that that person uh, made a mistake or they were looking at a system that uh, was anomalous. And so you need to keep doing those same sorts of studies um, in different environments to make sure that what that person found is actually true. Um, and I don't think many people want to do that because there's not as much glory in being the second person. Um, but how do we know we're doing good science unless we double check that we did it right? And I am happy to be one of the people who's double checked someone else's work. Excellent. We, we need more people doing that, I think. Mm -hmm. It's kind of nice too. You have a roadmap. Someone else has, has done it before. You can make tweaks to make things a little bit better, but um, you're not quite like totally out to sea. <laughs> no, the oceanographers are out to sea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, are you doing research right now? I am, yeah. Right now, I would say my research broadly is on uh, volcanoes that erupt under ice. Oh. Um, and I'm specifically looking at a rock type called pelagonite, which occurs when volcanic glasses are altered by heat and water. Oh, wow. Um, so would that be like types of obsidian? Um, not quite obsidian. Obsidian is specifically I think rhyolite, um, which is a, a chemical composition. And when I'm looking at a basalt, so these are just rocks that came to the surface uh, and were quenched, which is what we say, um, like turned solid uh, really, really quickly. So they didn't have time to form um, minerals or, or look like a rock that you would, you know, like pick up when you're just wandering around there um, a little bit glassier, but they're not quite as like shiny and black. Um, and actually, since they've been so altered, most of my samples are sort of a mustardy color. Oh, really fun. What are they called again? Pelagonite. Pelagonite. I'll have to Google that afterward and see what they look like. They sound fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's 
Um, glacial volcanism is a very young field and there aren't that many people in it. Um, so it's cool to get to do something uh, that not that many pe other people are looking at and sort of have the freedom to, to take it in any direction I want. Are there any interesting glacial volcanoes nearby? There are a lot actually. Um, Several, if you're just driving up the Sea to Sky Highway, a lot of things there erupted subglacially. Um, I'm trying to, I think Garibaldi is one, Mount Meager, where I'm going for my field work, is one. Excellent. Um, there are tons in Iceland, that's sort of the, the type loca locality for them. Now, everyone always asks, uh, is Vancouver going to be destroyed by a volcano? Personally, I'm more worried about earthquakes. Um, I would say, you. I mean, you read those things where it's like, oh, this volcano erupts every 60,000 years and it's overdue for an eruption. 60,000 years is a long time and there's a pretty big margin of error there and I don't think it's worth spending every day worrying about it. And this might be a little bit fatalistic to say, but to some degree, if something's going to blow, it's going to blow, mm -hmm. um, whether or not you've worried about it. So you should just listen to the scientists when they tell you to evacuate. I think that's great advice. Always listen to scientists. Now you're saying that you're about to go out into the field. Uh, do you get out, out into the field often? Um, I do as much as I can because it's a part of my research that I really enjoy. Um, I've done, we're going to go out for two to three weeks in August um, up to Mount Meager and then I've done other field work in, uh, in Vermont where I'm from and then uh, Iceland and Northern California. Um, so yeah, it's, it's part of the job that I really enjoy, but I think a lot of people sort of have an image of a geologist as like a, a guy on a mountaintop with a big beard and, you know, he trekked 40 days to get there and that can be a little alienating for people. Um, so I'm lucky that I get to do field work because it's something that I enjoy, but other people um, create research for themselves that doesn't require being out in the field because that's, they get to do the other things that they enjoy. Um, now, one thing that I, I hear all the time is that some of the craziest things happen out in the field. Uh, do you have any interesting field stories? I don't know that anything really crazy has happened to me. I've done a lot of field work in Iceland, which means I've done a lot of field work in the rain, oh. <laughs> um, where you just like are soaking wet all day long and then you go back to your tent and kind of remain damp, <laughs> which I don't think is like a great way to attract people to the discipline is describing that. But um, I've had a lot of fun doing fieldwork. I really like being outside. Um, for my fieldwork, my undergraduate thesis, it was in Northern California at the peak of berry season. Um, so we would be driving around to different locations to pick up samples and just pull over to the side of the road and like fill whatever Tupperware we had in the car with berries that we would eat throughout the day. Okay. That's probably, um, I think mostly raspberries and blackberries. I remember very fondly like jumping out of the car and, and picking all of them. And I don't remember all of the places that we went to pick up rocks, so. <laughs> you remember the important things. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been talking with different uh, researchers who've done field work in different countries, different parts of the world. Um, so have you noticed any differences between doing field work in California, Vermont, or, or Iceland versus here in BC? Um, a lot of it, the field work that I've done has been um, different just by nature of what we were 
trying to collect. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if I could say that it had to do with the, the rules of the location or everything. Um, most of the places I've been have had pretty similar um, guidelines about how to respectfully collect samples and conduct science. Um, I know some countries have pretty strict rules about what you can take out of the country and different, at least in the US, different federal land or designations have different rules about what you can take and whether or not you need permits. But um, I would say the, the biggest difference from here to Vermont, at least, is that everything in Vermont is covered in trees. Um, and you can't, it's really hard to get at any of the rocks. And here it's nice that you can actually see things. <laughs> and in Iceland, it's like all new, like really, really new fresh lava flows that nothing has grown on top of yet. So it's really easy to map there because you see a flow and then you see another flow and there's nothing obscuring them. Oh, cool. And when you say new, like how new is new? The oldest rocks in Iceland, I believe, are 16 million years old. The oh. oldest, or the rock that is under the house that I grew up in in Vermont is 390 million years old. Oh, okay. <laughs> For reference. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I guess uh, we're the old world and uh, Iceland is the new world. <laughs> mm -hmm. Iceland began forming, I think, 25 million years ago. So it's like a, just a little baby island. Wow. I didn't know it was that young. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, saying something 25 million years old is young is something I think only a geologist would say, but <laughs> compared to everything else floating around, it is quite young. Yeah, when you start getting into geological time scales, it's, uh, it really boggles the mind. Mm -hmm. um, now, how is your research um, important to the world and what are its real world applications? Um, I, for the field of glaciovolcanism, one of the major interests is paleoclimate reconstruction um, because volcanic products are relatively easy to date. And uh, if you can confirm that it did erupt under ice, then you can pin the location of the ice sheet and the thickness of the ice sheet to that location at that time. So it can be really useful for tracking ice sheet advance um, and giving sort of a little more um, specificity to some of the dates because a lot of, of glacial um, tracking movement is, is not quite that robust. Um, a lot of people are interested in the rock type that I look at because they think that there might be some on Mars, which might be proof oh. of water on Mars. Oh, interesting. So you're studying ancient climates, not by looking at uh, the composition of the atmosphere, but the presence or, or lack of presence of ice sheets on top of these volcanoes. Yeah, it's just another piece of data to add to those records. Because um, the, the records themselves are pieces of, of several different things that come together. So the more things you can check, sort of the more specific the time scale gets. That's really interesting. Uh, which time scale are you looking at right now? I am actually not yet doing any dating as part of my work. My work is trying to constrain um, what a volcano that looks that erupts under ice actually looks like because they can look quite similar to one that erupted under a lake. Um, it's really just the, the water interacting with the magma causes these specific landforms. But if we can say specifically that know that this was ice, um, then it's useful for uh, tracking glacial advance. But if, if it might have been a lake, um, if the record isn't really clear for that time that the volcano erupted, whether or not the ice was there, 
um, then you can't really use it to say much. Oh, wow, that does seem really, um, like a really tough distinction to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I haven't figured it out yet, but I will, uh, maybe I'll come back on if I do. Absolutely, I'd love to hear about that. <laughs> um, now we all have things that we love and things that we don't so much love about our day-to-day -day work. Um, what's something you really love about your research? Um, I really love that I get to be outside for some of it. Um, I like that I'm working with uh, a group of other people who are doing similar things. Um, I really enjoy collaborating with other scientists and being able to bounce ideas off of each other. Um, I think that it's just, it's more fun, but it also feels more productive because uh, sometimes you can get on this track of thinking about something and someone else will point out to you that it's kind of a crazy direction to be going in. Um, I would say, let's say parts of my job that I don't like, um, I'm not that great at computer modeling and that has so far not been a huge part of my work, but I think it will be more later. Um, and I don't like being bad at things. So I will hopefully get better as I do more of it. But yeah, I would say I'm, I don't really like being on the computer. Well, it sounds like you've got a really strong sense of community to help you with uh, some of those things that maybe aren't your fortes. I think geologists in general are pretty good at working together. We're a, quite a collegial bunch. Um, but yeah, it's, I think really successful scientists find people that they can work with well and continue working with those people for a long time. So that's something that I've tried to cultivate in every research situation I've been in is like someone that I will work well with. Well, I noticed you've, you've done a lot to contribute to the uh, local EOAS community. Um, and we, we all appreciate you and your, your efforts. Thank you. Um, that's actually leading to my next question. Um, we've been without that community for a while now uh, with the COVID impact. So how has that impacted your work? Um, it's certainly thrown a wrench in the works. I am grateful that it hasn't completely thrown off my research. I know for some people, um, they needed to do field work at a time that field work was impossible. Um, so I was planning to be out into the field, out in the field quite a bit more this summer. We've shortened our season a little bit, and I think we'll still be able to get the samples that we need. Um, there was a period of time where I didn't have quite enough to do couldn't really do anything new since I hadn't been able to go into the lab, but uh, I've just been writing a lot, reading a lot of papers, um, and now we're allowed back into the lab a little bit, and that's been enough to go in and work in a frenzy for a day, and then that holds me over for the other four days of the week. Good. Well, I'm glad you're able to go back into the lab um, and that you've been able to catch up on some reading, too. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of a ghost town in the EOAS building. It's kind of sad. It's usually bustling. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to, I haven't seen that yet, and I'm not looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> well, Sophie, those are all my questions. Um, thank you very much, but before I let you go, is there anything you want to say? I don't think so. I think I said everything I wanted to. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, as always, it's a delight, and best of luck with your research this summer. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely.